listening to a download from the outdoorstation.co.uk. Number 289. Welcome back to another podcast here on the Outdoor Station. And this one is a little bit more exotic. Regular listeners will remember that Beth, our daughter, joined us last year during the, or part of the way, during the TGO Challenge walking across Scotland. She's also uh, done a couple of podcasts for us on Croatia and her trip there with her friend Alice. Beth is now working for an organisation called POD, P-O-D, a leading not-for-profit organisation that provides volunteering opportunities abroad. And this includes, of course, general volunteer work, working holidays, career breaks and gap years. She recently visited Thailand to do some background research on their current projects. So while she was at one particular wildlife centre, which is about 100 miles away from Bangkok and 15 miles away from the beach, she spoke to one of the volunteer coordinators. Now this wildlife centre solely relies on the help of volunteers to contribute to the care and rehabilitation of the animals. Now, while you listen to this interview, do have a look at the uh, website, which is um, thepodsite.co.uk, that's P-O-D, thepodsite.co.uk, or if you're on Facebook, have a quick search for Pod Volunteer, and you'll see some of the background pictures and images to go with this audio. Anyway, here's Beth. So I'm sat here in a beautiful gazebo. Um, we're under the cover of the shade, which is fantastic because it's very, very hot today. And I'm actually sat here with Emma, who's um, the volunteer coordinator at the Wildlife Centre. Um, so Emma, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and how you first worked at the centre, really? Um, yeah, I came here to volunteer in 2007. Um, and I came actually through POD um, to volunteer for four weeks at the Rescue Centre. Um, with the primates and the bears and a lot of different animals that we have at the rescue centre because I had a a huge interest in wildlife conservation. Um, I hadn't come from that background, but it's been a passion all of my life and really developed further. Um, Fell in love with the rescue centre and decided I wanted to stay a little bit longer, so extended my stay whilst I was here. And after eight weeks of being here, um, decided I needed a bit of a break but really knew I wanted to work here. Um, and there was a potential job available for me as a volunteer coordinator, so I kind of asked if I could have that job before I left, and they said yes, but when are you coming back? And I said in about six weeks, and three and a half weeks later, I rocked up back to the rescue centre, and here Just I was. couldn't stay away. Nope, and, and here I was being volunteer coordinator. Um, that was February 2008, and I've been here for the last two years. And so what would you say your role kind of entails? It's um, a good question. Um, we're basically here to make sure that the volunteers have everything that they need. Um, we're here to welcome them when they first get here, show them around the rescue centre, make sure they understand exactly what they've gotten themselves into. But also, whilst they're here, we um, supervise them every day to make sure, although the more experienced volunteers teach the newer volunteers how to do the jobs, we're there to make sure that those jobs are being consistently done. We um, schedule their days. We organise taxes if they want days off. We're pretty much here to to do whatever the volunteers need and at the same time whatever the animals need so that the volunteers can take care of them, basically. So it's making sure that everyone has a good time, basically? Pretty much, yeah. In uh, 
selected parameters, <laughs> but yeah, very much so. Um, pretty much people are here to take care of the animals, but there's a big social aspect to being a volunteer as well, so we're here to make sure that all comes together. And about that, you say there was, you know, is there quite an array of ages and, and nationalities? Kind of, What's the spread normally? Yeah, we, can, we have people from all over the world. Um, last year we worked out that there was at least about 20, 25 countries represented. Um, a lot of European countries, England, um, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, of course, the UK. Um, France, Italy, Belgium, Netherlands, Germany, then there's the United States, um, Canada, Australia, New Zealand. We had a volunteer from Colombia last year. Um, we've had a volunteer from Malawi, South Africa. So it's not just the Western world, it's actually even bigger than that. Yeah, it's, it's spreading. People, I think, just want to come here and help. A lot of people come from an animal background and this is an excellent way for them to gain some experience maybe or gain a greater understanding of if this is a line of work they would like to go into. So some are students that are, are studying animal welfare, biology, all of these kinds of different concepts and then we get people that um, just really want to give something back and they do have a passion for animals and their everyday life might be customer service or engineer or teacher and yet they come here because they just want to help out and do something a little bit different so it's a holiday with a difference. Do you find that a lot of people do what you did and sort of book for a few weeks and then just keep coming back or stay even longer? We have have uh, I'd say at least 10 to 20 maybe even 30 percent of people return back to the rescue center within a year um, and then another 10% within a couple of years. And then again, we're still getting people that were here in 2005 and still want to return, but we do see a huge turnover of people wanting to come back. You get a lot of people that want to extend for a week, um, two weeks, that are travelling for a while and will come back in a few, a few weeks. We'll do a bit more travelling, see maybe some more of Southeast Asia, go down to the full moon party or whatever, and then come back up and spend another month here at the rescue centre. So there's quite a variety of volunteers in different, different ages as well, or is it kind of one trend? We have a huge amount of age groups from 18 to 70. We've had the oldest volunteer was about 74 here. Um, and we always try and make sure that the work is available for them to do at their own pace. Um, there are set schedules um, for all of the volunteers to follow, but um, we're, we're open to all age groups coming here, even families coming with their children under 18, as long as they can um, look after the kids and know that we're not a babysitting <laughs> service, but that, but that there, there is educational things for the kids to do here and something perhaps to engage them a little bit rather than the normal holiday. So it's more about enthusiasm rather than you know any age or any sort of set specifications of what you should be to be a volunteer. Yeah, very much so. As long as you've got a passion for animals or an interest in animals, even we're here to accommodate and we're we're happy to see anyone here. So could you tell me a bit more about the centre? Like, what kind of animals do you have here, and and what kind of work are you doing? Um, we have about four hundred animals here at the rescue centre, just under um, the overwhelming majority being primates, with uh, over a hundred macaques, hundred and twenty macaques, just over a hundred gibbons, um, and a few other different species, along with bears, um, some nocturnal animals such as leopard cats and civets, binturongs, a lot of unusual animals that people have perhaps not heard of. And we have an otter, a tiger, a loris, um, crocodiles, otters, birds, you name it, we've got it here. A few double mentions there, but um, they all basically come from some kind of human abuse. Um, there's a lot of wildlife trading animals that is very much illegal and some of it actually legal. Um, and when people don't know what to do with these animals anymore, 
after they become aggressive pets or they're no longer useful as a photo prop or a work animal. Um, on rare occasions, people think they're doing the right thing by rescuing an animal because it would have been eaten otherwise, so they buy it and give it to us. That unfortunately perpetuates the trade, but does that save the animal? And we kind of offer those animals here a second chance, some semblance of a normal life, giving them um, the ability to live in social groups if they live in social groups, but also just the ability to be animals. They're going through rehabilitation, and where possible, we do have a release programme for gibbons. Um, and some of the animals that come here, some of the reptiles, for example, we've had pangolins um, and snakes, different species of loris come in. They're, they can survive very easily in the wild. Um, so we can get those in, um, make sure they're healthy, and then get them released back to the wild again. Yeah, actually, um, yesterday, was it, there was someone that brought a loris in, um, which is... It looks like a small monkey, really. I think that's yeah. probably the easiest way to describe it. And it was there with its small child and basically a, a Thai person um, drove a car into a tree and it fell down. So, And they brought it to you, didn't they, to just check it over and, and make sure. And what actually happened to it in the end? Well, basically, this loris was, uh, fell, to, fell to the ground and was started to be eaten by ants. So the man very conscientiously brought him to the rescue centre, which would not have happened before the rescue centre existed. It would have died. So this very fortunate Loris got the health check along with its baby um, and then was taken to the local national park here, or one of the no national parks, uh, Palau, and released back to the wild. Um, and will do very, very well there because that's where it came from. So um, it's a happy Loris again. And yes. without us, that Loris would have died. So how long have you been going for now? Um, the rescue centre opened in May 2001. Um, and it's just grown from strength to strength and got bigger and bigger since then. So we're nearly nine years old now. Um, and I don't think Edwin, who is the founder and director of um, the Rescue Centre, would ever have imagined it getting as big as it is today. Um, and you're still growing as well, aren't you? Um, I was shown, it's the new land, is that what it's called? Yeah, we, we're kind of tentatively calling it Sector 3. The Rescue Centre here is built on Temple Grounds. So um, the first part, Sector 1, I suppose you could call, is Temple Grounds land um, at the kind of grace of the abbot, um, which is fantastic. But we then expanded in 2008 by... Um, we had a fundraiser, basically. A lady in Australia did a fundraiser for an elephant refuge and we were able to buy Sector 2, a plot of land for the elephant refuge. And then further back, um, Sector 3 was purchased at the end of 2009 and we're building a bear and a macaque and gibbon rescue centre over there as well more of a sanctuary where they're all open air enclosures, um, no cages in any way shape or form, all of the animals can look up and see the stars, there'll be no bars on the tops of their enclosures um, and they can live as close to nature as it's possible to be I think that was a fantastic thing because um, obviously the gibbons, some of the gibbons have already moved over there and the trees you have there, you've obviously designed the, ca well, the cages, the enclosures, specifically so that they incorporate the big trees that are already there so they can actually swing from tree to tree as, as they were meant to do, but in a controlled environment that they, they are kept safe. I actually think that's as close to the wild as it's possible to be while still being in captivity for these gibbons. And these gibbons are all born in captivity or... Um, th those those seven that live over there they've they've never lived in the wild so to see them I've I've seen them move from our quarantine enclosures into a bigger enclosure out here at the first half of the rescue centre and then up into the new land where they now actually have real trees instead of um, enrichment beams that we've created for them to actually live in and it's it's a really beautiful thing to see and it's 
the reason why you just can't tear yourself away from here, that you fall in love with it and you just watch the individual stories of the animals unfolding in front of you every single day. And, and it's the individual personalities as well. So many of the animals, I mean, I've, I've only been here for a few days, so I'm sure I'd know them a lot better, but, I mean... They obviously have their own personalities, what it's like when you feed them and how they if they interact with you. They do recognise you as well, don't they? Yeah, every single animal here has an individual personality and every animal here gets treated as an individual. Um, but, yeah, a lot of the animals, you, you, they'll pick up on who you are the minute you walk through the door, a new person. So they're just kind of like, right, we can have some fun with you, especially the primates. Um, and then after a couple of weeks, they, they recognise who you are and and they settle down and they start picking on someone else maybe. But it's, um, yeah, they're, they're beautiful animals here, every single one, and each one has its story to tell and wherever possible we'll tell you that story. Yeah. Um, and you'll fall in love. Everyone has picks a favourite when they first come here. They've got a couple of favourite animals. Mm. The longer you're here, you'll realise you can't have favourites. You just have ones that maybe you have a little bit of a, a liking to a bit more, but each one has such a, a story or a personality and you, you end up not having favourites because you just fall in love with them all. And so, so on a day-to-day basis, because um, you've got different kind of projects running, you've got the, the Elephant Sanctuary as well as the Wildlife Centre, um, on, on like sort of a day-to-day basis, what, what's the schedule involve? Well, the volunteers will start um, early. Um, it's not a holiday. It is uh, very much a, a work placement, but with fun. And what time is that? 6.30. <laughs> but the good thing about that, because I have been up for 6.30 um, the last few days, and actually it's so nice because it's so cool, which when you work here in the daytime, it gets to very, well, 40 degrees or so it was yesterday, yeah. and like That's it's actually quite a nice break. Year, so it's... It's yeah, it's going to get hotter until about April, and then we'll get the rainy season, and it'll start to break and it'll cool down. But six thirty start um, working first thing in the morning, usually taking care of the animals before you take care of your own breakfast first, and it's feeding the animals, all of them around the rescue centre, their breakfast. Um, then you have your own breakfast, usually between eight and nine. There are many different jobs going on between nine and twelve, but there's usually at least a, a, the longest job will be about an hour. Um, where you can then go and have a break and then go on to the next job. Um, lunch is usually between 12 and 2, um, but sometimes there again there are jobs within the 1 to 2 break, um, but a lot of people t- take this time when it's the heat of the day to have a nap um, and get started or kind of refresh themselves for the afternoon mm. where we have the big feeding session for the afternoon, their dinner basically, um, and then, then again cleaning, taking care of the nocturnal animals, carrying out enrichments throughout the days for all of the animals, for the elephant refuge, there's taking the animals back to the forest, making sure they have a bath, um, feeding them, making sure the babies are occupied for a couple of hours in the afternoon as well. Um, just many different jobs going on. We always say to people when they walk through the door that there are the scheduled jobs that they will always be assigned. So you can do as much as you want in a way or as little as you want just by sticking to your schedule or finding something else because there's always so much to do around here. And people really get involved with the enrichments. Um, that's basically sort of making the animals' time in whilst they're in the enclosures more exciting, really. And is it making food, like food harder to, to get, or what, what actually does it involve? Well, with uh, any environment you create for an animal, whether it be a huge um, enclosure or habitat or even a small cage, it is just a shell. The minute you add any kind of um, climbing frame or swing or bed or substrate or you know anything straw it is an enrichment to the animals so they're the environmental enrichments that volunteers make um and 
on a less regular basis. The enrichments that the volunteers do for the animals more regularly are the food and scent enrichments um, and their behavioural enrichments. And what we're trying to do where possible is encourage natural behaviour. Um, so, for example, a macaque will forage for food on the ground mostly or sometimes in the trees. So we do scatter feeds for the primates every day or for the gibbons, I should say. We do those pretty much every day so that they're foraging for seeds and nuts and things like that. But we also, with, with macaques, they're quite intelligent. So anytime you make it harder for them to get food by putting them in little toys, whether it be bamboo feeders where you chop some wood up for a bamboo, um, dog kongs even can be used, um, many different kind of nets and just different things that volunteers can create to make it harder for the, for the animals to reach the food. That, that's one form of enrichment. Also, it's giving them something different. Um, we call ice treats, like creating macaque or gibbon ice creams where you freeze fruit or you freeze coconut uh, milk things like that where they get a different food so giving them something different gibbons in the wild would not drink water um, from a bottle or they wouldn't tip up a cup and try and drink water and the way we provide water to them is by a bucket on the side of their enclosure because it's the easiest to keep clean and administer but we don't want to encourage them to tip that bucket up because in the wild they would put their hand into a, a puddle or they would gather moisture from rain and they would suck the moisture from their hands and that would be how they'd get a lot of their water. So here to try and encourage that behaviour, we put seeds into their water bucket. So they put their hands in, they get the seeds and then they realise they've got water on their hands and they can suck the water up that way. So it's again encouraging natural behaviour for that species and tailoring the different... Um, kind of enrichments that we do to the animals to that species and some will cross over and some you just want to for example you wouldn't want to put food on the floor for a gibbon they're arboreal they would live in the treetops they wouldn't come down to the ground maybe ever in their lifetime so you really do cater for each individual animal really yeah, very much so. Um, not just species-wise. Sometimes we have animals that are antisocial. Um, one thing to be aware of when you come to the rescue centre is that these animals have come from lives that may have made them um, physically, emotionally, mentally disturbed. So where we can, we integrate them into groups, but sometimes it's not possible because or they're not ready for that yet. They're just, you know, 10 years in a tiny cage, maybe a metre by a metre square, if they're lucky, is not going to make them a social animal overnight. So we've had one monkey here, it took us two years, but he now lives in a field with another 18 monkeys, but he'd lived for seven years in a crate, basically. So for him, he had to go through a year of isolation here, in a way, getting used to a bigger enclosure to start with, um, and then being on grass and instead of concrete, um, and then having an environment next to other macaques of the same species so that he could... Um, start to get to know that he was a monkey again and then one day we could open the door and in he went with the other monkeys and he might not be the most social of animals but he now lives among them so our job as volunteers and as volunteer coordinators is to try and um, establish the needs of each of the animals that come here and then the volunteers can help with the enrichments and observations and just basically helping us to take care of those animals because obviously some of the animals in, in those situations that they, they they're not wild anymore they couldn't survive in the wild so no. I mean you're you're providing them the, the enclosures the size of the enclosures are actually providing them with a better quality of life obviously than they would have had but it's it's not possible to release them into the wild is that correct yeah macaques in particular long-term macaques are prevalent throughout southeast asia 
There are hundreds of thousands of them on city streets. We've basically taken their habitat away and they're encroaching straight back onto that habitat and they're on the streets, they're in people's houses and they're considered a little bit of a pest. And we've helped to create that situation as well because people feed monkeys at the side of the road and on the, you know, and then, so of course they see people as a food source. These animals here at the rescue centre, that's one of the main reasons they could never go back to the wild. Also, they, they don't know how to be wild animals anymore. They've been taught to rely on people to provide food for them. And like I said, some of them are antisocial. Some of them you know, come in with physical deformities. Um, we have one macaque here who only has one arm. Her name is Bandit. Um, and she was unfortunately born that way um, and couldn't keep up with the troop. And uh, a concerned citizen at the time brought her in and we, we've looked after her and we watch out for her. If her quality of life ever becomes such that we might have to make difficult decisions, we'll look at that. But she's so happy now and she lives with another monkey and she's a bit of a caretaker of some of the babies here, so foster mum. But an individual case-by-case -case basis that we take all of these animals and people should be aware that sometimes they're not all going to be that happy, but they're, we're working towards and they're helping us and you're helping us to work towards them all being much, hel much healthier physically and emotionally. So that's the, that's the thing the volunteers are here to do really and then contribute to the animals' li livelihood and their time and energies doing that obviously makes their lives better. So in regards to the like, community living of the volunteers, uh, do they have their own accommodation? What's the food kind of situation like? Is there a communal kitchen? Do they cook for themselves? What's, what happens there? Um, the volunteers who come here basically will be um, asked most of the time to share a room. We would um, be able to accommodate family groups. Um, friends can stay together. Couples can stay together. That's not a problem at all. But if you're coming as a solitary volunteer, nine times out of ten you will have a roommate. 99.9% .9 of the time you'll have a roommate. And it's actually a really great experience. I know as a volunteer I had uh, two fantastic roommates um, who, as an only child, I thought, I finally have sisters. <laughs> and it was actually a fantastic experience. So it's something great. The, the rooms um, are all usually two to four people. Um, and the majority of them have their own bathrooms um, with a shower um, and a typical Thai toilet which is Western style but has a manual flush rather than pressing a button. Um, very nice, clean rooms, um, but not the Hilton. Um, people come here generally to, to work and the rooms are uh, the place that they sleep at the end of the day. There is a communal area um, outside. Um, as Beth said at the beginning, we're in a beautiful gazebo right now that has a fan that we don't actually need because the shade's in here yeah. at the moment, so it's quite nice, with cushions, and then there's a television area. There's also a communal kitchen for people to use, but um, people generally only use that to, to cook their own breakfast, which we do provide the materials for, or snacks, which, again, there's bread and eggs and lots of fruit here and lots of different things that people can use to create their own breakfast but lunch and dinner will be cooked and provided for the volunteers so they never have to prepare that themselves and do you cater for like vegetarians and kind of specialist diets as well yeah vegetarians vegans very well catered for there's usually five dishes every day in a kind of buffet style provided for lunch and dinner um the first dish is usually a meat dish the next fish is dish sorry is usually vegetarian and the next three dishes will usually be vegan so it's very well uh, catered for different diets here 
if people do have special requirements in for their diets whether it be an allergy just let us know and we'll let the cooks know and they'll make sure that there's always something for the to eat or we can tell them don't eat this it has fish or don't eat that it has peanuts or something along those lines whatever allergies people may have and so um, if people want snacks and stuff is is there someone close by to to get those from like what's and also the the closest internet because obviously some people want to keep in touch with home and stuff um, yeah, we have. We're very close to the village, uh, a rural Thai community here in in Thailand. It's about a ten minute walk away from the rest of the community, where there are um, about three internet cafes, many different kinds of corner shops where you can buy basics like um, basic snacks, really more than anything like uh, crisps and chocolate and um, beer and coke and all of those kinds of things. Sometimes there are other things available in, in the different shops like milk and bread, but that's all stuff that's provided for here. Um, so you don't have to worry too much about that. And what about days off? Because I know it's, it's six days a week, so you do have um, a day off each week. Um, any exciting things you can do nearby? Oh, many, many. Um, a lot of people choose to go to a local resort um, that has a spa, and they spend the day there by the pool, chilling out, relaxing after a hard day's work um, and getting a massage. Um, yeah, I've um, met several people who've had that, and it's made me very jealous. I think I'm going <laughs> to head there soon. <laughs> it's a beautiful place to be. Um, and they actually offer for volunteers at the rescue centre a free collection from the rescue centre to the spa and then back again again as long as you're using the facilities there and having a massage or even because it's a hotel staying the night so um, that's quite good of them um, and then we have um, two local beach towns um, Cha'am and Hua Hin where volunteers sometimes spend the night or the day and they stay the night either and spend the night in a hotel and come back the next day or sometimes they just go for the day spend the day at the beach there's also a variety of national parks around here if you wanted to go um, and trek in a park a waterfall it's a very scenic area where you can actually go and see some wildlife in the wild where it should be which is always inspiring um, we also offer occasional trips um, to a local just outside of Cha'am there's a bat cave where hundreds of thousands of bats come out every night at dusk um, and there's a lookout point and it's a big mountain and you can see these just thousands of bats coming out I don't know if people have ever seen it on TV there's just like a mushroom cloud and swirls of bats that come come out at night time and it's a really great thing to see and that's usually combined with a trip to the local night market in Cha'am um, that's usually on a Wednesday night and we also often uh, safaris to go and see elephants in the wild which um, I believe you went to last night Beth. yes I did it was fantastic I actually saw um, a male elephant um, just uh, strolling down the road as, as you do um, but it was really great to see them in the wild because I'd been working with them that day um, and sort of giving them a bath and you know just feeding and generally um, taking care of them um, so it was really nice to, as you say actually see them in the wild where they should be so where would you say the centre's going? Like In the future, obviously, you've got the developments um, in the new land or Sector 3. Um, is it just basically kind of expansion and, and giving the enclosures more space and the animals more space? Yeah, very much so. It's... Um creating unfortunately the problem gets huge is huge here in thailand and it's not getting any better at the moment we're seeing more and more people needing us to take these animals in wanting us to take these animals in um and although there are laws that exist to protect the animals they don't seem to be enforced the government doesn't seem to be able to keep up with the influx of animals that are coming in so we are needed here at the moment and as such we're, we're growing and expanding and creating bigger and better enclosures for the environment and hoping to become a benchmark in how captive animals can actually be managed um, and well looked after and given some you know, you know given that semblance of a natural life and left to be macaques and gibbons 
Um, so that's very much a part of the rescue centre. We also have the release programme for Gibbons, which is a new project not only for the rescue centre, um, but also to Thailand, basically working in conjunction with a local university, a um, very prominent university and the government, to get Gibbons released back to the wild. And we're hoping this again will be a benchmark for releasing Gibbons. And our first set of Gibbons go back to the wild or go back to the release site on um, Monday. Um, so we've got four days and it's a really exciting time for us. Um, and there is expansion in relation to a future marine project as well. Um, so it's all exciting times really for you? Very much so. It never stops. Um, we keep going and we'll keep doing our best for all of the animals that deserve kind of our, our sorrow in a way, saying sorry to them and, you know, we'll make it better. We yeah. will make it better. And Your care and attention. And well, with the volunteers' care and attention. Without the volunteers, we couldn't do half of the work that we do here at the Rescue Centre. They're vital to the running um, of this project. So without them, we'd be lost. So thank you. If you're thinking of coming, come. <laughs> Definitely. And so volunteers can come from one week to, well, 12 weeks onwards, really. Yeah, very much. We'd always recommend, um, if you want to stay longer than 12 weeks, it's always possible, but we'd recommend that you come here for 12 weeks first, make sure it's something that fits for you, um, and then you can expand your time when you're here. If you do want a book to come for six months, a year, <laughs> I don't know how long people really want to stay, and you're adamant that that's what you want to do before you come here, we're happy to accommodate. So, You're listening to theoutdoorstation.co.uk. As Emma indicates, volunteering seems to appeal to all ages. So Beth next spoke to Leslie, who is a regular visitor, who's taking a, another working holiday, and to Dan, who was a first-time traveller, for their impressions of the actual centre. So I'm just sat in the elephant kitchen, uh, which is a kitchen basically next to the elephants, uh, the clues in the name, and I'm sat here with Leslie, who's been working with the elephants this week, um, and just wanted to find out a bit more about your experience at the Wildlife Centre and, and find out what's you know, what's been going on the last few weeks. Um, so should we just start off with what's your name and what, what do you do when you're, when you're not working in Thailand? Okay, my name is Leslie and I'm a project manager for a, an educational company uh, in the UK. I do a lot of travel in the UK. And so what led you to travel all the way to Thailand? And I believe this isn't your first visit, is it? No, this is my third visit. I first came at the end of 2007. Um, I had a few difficult times in a personal life at home and I decided I wanted to do something for myself for a change. Uh, I was very attracted to working with animals, always have been, and did some research uh, on the internet, found many of them, uh, and was just attracted to Thailand because I'd never been there. I'd heard a lot about it and the information about the centre sounded very interesting. And initially you were you're just doing elephants? The first two times I only did elephants, so I came in 2007 and again about 15 months later and I did two weeks on elephants again. Uh, but this time I thought I'd like to find out a bit more about the other animals because I felt in a way that by just working on the elephants I didn't know much more about what was going on in the rest of the centre. And so how have you found it so far? Now, last week I did wildlife and I worked with the primates for two days, uh, bears for two days and then bears and nocturnals for two days. And it was really great because I found out a lot more about the animals, their stories, the layout of the centre even and uh, I really liked working with the nocturnals, they were so interesting. Yeah, I haven't actually seen the nocturnals yet, they seem to be hidden away at a different part of the centre but as you say it's quite, you, you go down a different path and you find a, a different animal really. Um, 
So what, what's your kind of daily routine? What time do you get up in the morning, dare I ask? Well, I set my alarm for 10 to 6 because I don't like to rush in the mornings. So I get up and when I get into the kitchen, I like to have a cup of tea. Uh, then we go out on the truck, which is really good. And what time is that? That's about 6.30. We go out on the truck into the forest. It's about a 15-minute drive. Uh, and then we have to wait for the elephants. The mahouts go and find the elephants in the forest and they bring them in and they're dragging their chains behind them. For people that don't know, what are mahouts? Mahouts are um, elephant keepers, I guess you would call them. Some of them actually own elephants, uh, but they seem to have worked with elephants since they were very young and they're very comfortable. Um, they can command the elephant, control the elephant. I guess that's the thing, really. If you're working with something that's so large, it's actually potentially kind of dangerous, so it's good that you have people there that, that do know what they're, what they're doing. And you mentioned before about the chains. I, mean, I think a lot of people might be a bit worried about that. What, what, what are the chains used for? Um, well, the elephants are chained at night by their, one of their front feet, and it's a very long chain, uh, just so that they can't move too far from where they're left in the forest at night so that we can find them in the morning. And I guess as well, we are, as, um, well, yeah, well, we are on temple grounds, and so obviously you don't want kind of elephants wandering off into other parts of the temple or also into the village, so it is actually for their own safety as much as other people's in the surrounding areas. And so what do you do once you've, you've found the elephants again in the midst of the forest? Okay. We often walk back with them, sometimes we ride. Um, depends then which elephants you're working on that day because elephant duty is split into three parts. Um, if you're on the babies, you also look after Sam the horse. Um, if you're on Sambun and Co, you would come down and about half past seven when we get back, we give them their food. If you're working on Pailin and uh, Nye at the top, then you would um, water good food, baskets of fruit usually for them, the old ladies at the top. Uh, and then we water plants up there because there's lots of new trees and plants been planted around the new lake and the new enclosure. So it's quite multifaceted what you do in the day, isn't it? <laughs> it's also very hot up there, actually. Yeah, there's really not much shade at all. I was there yesterday and definitely baking in the, in the midday heat. And so what keeps drawing you back to the centre? Because obviously if you're here for a few weeks, it's actually kind of, it's your holiday time. You've been working hard, slaving away in the UK, and you come here and, and slave away again. What, what draws you to it? I guess, first of all, I feel as if I don't do much physical activity at work. And so here is a physical activity and no mental activity, really. So it's quite a break from work. I find it almost like a retreat in a way. I come by myself. I don't have to worry about other people at all. I just, I just care about whether I'm enjoying myself and if I feel as if I'm contributing something. I've also made some really good friends here. Each time I've met some really nice people and I've stayed in touch with some of them through email. And as well, it's, it's definitely a mix of ages, um, sort of from 18... Up, well, I was talking to Emma earlier, and it was 18 up to, to 70 or so. So do you find that that's a problem at times? It hasn't been a problem at all. This time is the first time I felt that most of the people here were much younger. Um, but it hasn't been a problem. I've met some really nice people this time and made some good friends, so it's not a problem at all. I think you just have to be prepared to, for community living... Um, to contribute all the time uh, it's just fun and it's fun being with other people of different ages too and I suppose the thing is um, it's, it's being with different ages and different nationalities but also you, everyone shares that common passion for animals and for animal wildlife and, and actually doing something positive in the world so what would you say is your sort of favourite part of the day what's your favourite thing to do um, I like watching the uh, elephants bathe in the afternoon sometimes I like to go on sometimes I just like to watch I like to walk back in the evening with them as well. That's quite fun. It's very slow and it's very hot, but it's just a nice ending to the day. 
So have you ever uh, managed to travel on afterwards or have you sort of used your days off to sort of see the local sites and things? I don't travel afterwards. I tend to use this as my two weeks away from work. But um, each time I'm here, I've been to Cha'am and Hua Hin to have a look around. And there's so many nice places around the centre itself. There's the the lovely temple at the top with the Buddha. And the village itself is just great to be in a very Thai area. And so after your third visit now, do you think you're going to make it a fourth? Most definitely. I've decided I'm going to go back and I'm going to talk to my manager and ask him for three or four weeks off next year and come for a bit longer. Do you think you'll stick with the elephants or do a bit more of a combination? My plan is to do one week with wildlife again and two or three weeks with elephants. You're passionate and your heart lies there, doesn't it? It does, absolutely. I adore them. I always have since a child. They're such beautiful animals as well. I, I walked with you yesterday and sort of leading them back into the forest. They're just so beautiful and magnificent, really. Um, so I've enjoyed my time with them and I was only with them for a half a day, so I can imagine why, why you are drawn back each year. But thank you very much for taking the time to talk with me um, and tell us a bit more about the Elephant Project. Okay, thank you. I'm sat here with Dan and he's been working at the centre for the last eight weeks. He's still got a few more weeks to go. And so he's agreed to tell me a few things about the centre and what it's like for a a longer stay volunteer. My name's Daniel Matthews. Yeah, I come from Surrey in London. And I came to Thailand for the Gibbons and the Macaques. And so was it you looked at quite a few programmes or was this um, at the Wildlife Centre just one that caught your eye straight away or did you kind of do a bit of research before you came? Yeah, it caught my eye straight away because it, was, uh, it had everything. It had the bears, it had elephants and mainly the gibbons and the macaques which are really, really cool. So have you always had an interest in, in those kind of primates? Yeah, yeah. I've always loved elephants because they're my mum's favourite animal and um, always been interested with bears um, the primates were sort of secondary until I got here and then now they're primary. So then what do you actually do like day to day? Have you got bored at all? Um, not really. I did get a bit homesick in the third week but everyone was really cool. It took about three or four days and um, yeah, yeah, it, was, uh, it sort of went away and then the time after that just flew past. And so sort of on a day to day basis, um, what do you do? Do you kind of stick with one animal or do you chop and change around? How does how does the rotor work? They mix it up quite nicely so you get to do everything. You get to experience every aspect of it. Um, The elephants is something different, though, because you have to pay more money to book with the elephants rather than the wildlife. But um, they've kindly let me do a day next week on my last week, so I'll get to have seen everything by the time I'm here. And so are the elephants quite separate to the rest of the centre or are they kind of in the same area? They're in the same area and you get to see them and walk past them when you're doing other jobs, but to work with them it's, um, you have to pay extra and people book more in advance than they do with wildlife, so it's, uh, it's hard to incorporate it into wildlife without booking it because it's unfair on the elephant volunteers. So have you done anything like this before? Or is this a f- sort of first-time travel experience? Yeah, f- first time at 26, uh, first time away on my own from home, and um, I'd carry on and I'd do it again and recommend it to anyone. And where did you say you're carrying on to? Are you, are you travelling around Thailand a bit more or are you going um, elsewhere? Yeah, I'm going to Koh Tao for three weeks when I finish. It was supposed to be a month, but I love this place so much I stayed on an extra week. And, and is that easy enough to do if you, if you get here and you're like, oh, I really, really want to stay a few more weeks? Yeah, as long as the place isn't booked and you've got a good tour operator, there everything falls into place. And have you found community living? Because I think in situations like this, if you, if you haven't done it before and you're not particularly used to living with a, a bunch of strangers and eating meals together and stuff, has it, has it been easy enough to fit in? 
Yeah, it's uh, very easy because everyone's here for the same reason, so everyone's really friendly. And even if there's nothing to talk about, you can always talk about the animals or what you did that day or what you're doing tomorrow. So it's really, really good. And have you enjoyed Thailand? Have you enjoyed the culture, the food? Yeah, I enjoy both. They're they're both really good. Uh, all the Thai people are very friendly, and um, the food is really really nice. Oh yeah, do you, do you work alongside some Thai staff? Yeah, yeah, you get to work with a few of them. It's quite hard with the language barrier, but they're all really smiley, so it's uh, never never a problem. And have you managed to have a few days out? I know a couple of the towns are quite close by. You, is that where you spend your days off? Yeah, I either go to the spa or go to Wahim, which is about an hour taxi ride away. And they have good bars. We went to watch the football, um, and they do really good Western food if you're bored of the Thai food. And so you're saying about the spa? I think that's going to interest a few people. It's about 25 minutes away in the, their own little tuk-tuk thing, and um, it's a free taxi there as long as you have a treatment or a few drinks. And um, it's got a swimming pool. It's normally empty, so you've got the whole run of the place. And uh, the massages there are, are really, really good. So you get well and truly pampered on your days off then. Yeah, you feel very rich when you go there. And even though I think I went there and spent about forty pounds, and that was two meals, drinks all day, and uh, a really, really good massage, the most expensive one as well. So all in all, a uh, nice way to spend your days off. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me um, and telling me a bit more about the centre and your experience here. No worries. Thank you. Certainly volunteering appeals to us as a good use of time and skills and also to learn a bit more about uh, something you might be passionate about. Uh, For more information about uh, POD in particular, you can visit their website, which, as I say, is thepodsite.co.uk, or if you're on Facebook, uh, have a look at POD Volunteer. My thanks go to Emma, Leslie and Dan, and to Beth, of course, for compiling the interviews. We will be hearing more from Beth at a later stage uh, from another part of Thailand. But until next time, folks, take care out there and safe travels. Bye for now. any feedback, questions or suggestions, why not drop us a line either on Facebook or directly to our email address, info at theoutdoorstation.co.uk. The home of UK-based audio and video podcasts for outdoors people everywhere. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To hear more from our extensive free library, please visit the website at theoutdoorstation.co.uk. You can now follow The Outdoor Station on Facebook, where we chat about each programme we produce, answer questions and discuss future productions. Why not join us there? This podcast is produced and hosted by theoutdoorstation.co.uk. 